When I was a boy, I learned that to open someone else's mail was a no-no. <laughs> you, I bet you probably learned the same thing. Uh, things have become a little bit more complicated these days. A while ago, someone asked me about an e email that I sent to a private party. I didn't send it to that person that was asking me about it, and I didn't know what they had to do with that email that I had sent, but evidently, my personal letter had become public property, and I felt a little bit, well, I felt a little bit violated. Today, we have an opportunity to open Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Now, if you were a part of that church back then, 2,000 years ago, it's likely that you wouldn't want the details of your life, of your church, included in, in a letter that would become part of the Bible for everyone to hear and know about for, well, 2,000 years. How would you like that? Of course you wouldn't like that. So you might ask, why in the world do we read Paul's personal correspondence in the Bible? Well, you might say, it's Scripture, that's why. Easy as that. But it wasn't all that apparent at first. Do you think when Paul wrote his letter to the church in Corinth that he knew that he was producing a document that would be joined to the sacred scriptures of the Old Testament and would become part of the revealed will of God? Do you think that was on Paul's mind when he wrote that letter? I, I really doubt that. However, while he may not have counted himself to be among the Moses and Jeremiah's and, and Isaiah's that, whose writings were, were part of the Bible, Paul was mindful when he wrote that he was speaking the Word of God. How do we know this? Well, when he wrote to the church in Thessalonica, this is what he said. And we also thank God continually because when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, Get that? When you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So here, Paul writing says that his letter was the word of God. So now as we open the Bible and take a fresh look at this book, 1 Corinthians, which scholars call Paul's most contemporary letter, it's no violation to do so. Paul meant us to know its contents, to learn from his words, to be empowered by the Spirit, and to be blessed by the reading. So look at the address that's on this letter that Paul has written. To the church of God in Corinth. Then it includes, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the address is to Corinth and to all of us, even us in 2019. We're going to read this letter. We're going to study this letter. We're going to be blessed by this letter. 
for the entire year here at Village Church. Now, you may be going, what? What's going to happen here? Well, um, we are going to take the entire year, at least among the pastoral staff that's part of Village Church, there will be excursions by special speakers with, with, that we invite to be a part of us. They'll, they'll go elsewhere in Scripture, but we, pastoral staff here at Village Church, uh, by and large, will focus in on these pages written by Paul to the church in Corinth. So, when I read it, when I look at 1 Corinthians, when we read it together, when we read it at home, we read it to hear God's message written through Paul, interacting with real people that were part of a real church. And you likely already know that um, because of the time you've spent in this letter up to this point, that these people that Paul was writing to, these church members in Corinth, had serious problems. The church in Corinth had challenges in their faith and challenges in their life. But really, that's what the Bible is anyway, from beginning to end, isn't it? Challenges, hardships, difficulties, problems. Um, the Word of God basically is a narrative of God moving among hard-hearted, hard-headed human beings. It's a story that we can understand because that's where we're at. We can relate to it. We can hear its words. We can see its message for us. We also need to remember, as we look at this book, 1 Corinthians, we'll need to remember that our story really isn't that much different than their story. Yes, theirs was different, but ours is really no better than theirs. You may think so, but really it's not. And I'm so grateful, and I thank God that he was willing to speak to them through Paul because we need to be spoken to today through Paul, through his word, in a story that we can relate to and hear from. The God, the God who spoke to Paul is going to speak to us as we work through this living word that moves in our hearts today. So I'd like to invite you. We're starting today, and so you came unprepared, likely. But from now on, take some time. This week, we'll be back into uh, the first chapter on next Sabbath. And verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we're going to go through the whole book, and I'd invite you to do so too. In 2019, why don't you make it part of your devotional study? Looking at it maybe once or twice a week, in addition to what else you read for your devotionals, and week by week, month by month, and through the year, praying for the illumination of God's Spirit as you read it, to open your understanding to hear and listen and follow that the Word may speak truth to you this year. And as you do that, if you do that, when we come together as a family here at Village Church, our time together on Sabbath morning is going to be much richer because you've spent that time there and you've already gained spiritual insight. You're already acquainted with, with what Paul has said. And you'll be blessed because the story is already yours. 
And we'll just elaborate on that story together. The story is yours. Notice what it said there in verse number two. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. What happens when the good news, the message of Jesus Christ, the message that God so loved this world that he gave his only son to reconcile, to bring back to him straying, disobedient, rebellious people like me. What happens when the Spirit of God spreads through an urban center like Corinth? What happens when that power reaches people? It's a story really that's stranger than fiction. And the word is about this place and what happened there. So let me just take a moment to tell you a little bit about Corinth before we dive into this book. Corinth was a, the place that Paul's feet trod on uh, during his ministry was a little more than 100 years old, Corinth of his day, 100 years old. But at that point, it was five times larger than Athens, the capital of the province. So it was a megalopolis, a large city. Now, ancient Corinth, which was different than the Corinth that Paul uh, experienced, ancient Corinth was founded 1,000 years before Paul. So about the 10th century B.C. And it was a very rich seaport and at that time, the largest city in Greece, which is really saying something because Greece was something back then. It was strategically located on the narrow isthmus that connects southern Greece to the mainland. And because of its place in geography, it was a powerful commercial center. It had a western harbor on the side of the Mediterranean Sea towards Italy, and it had an eastern harbor on the other side facing Asia. So with one side facing Italy and Europe and the other side facing Asia, Corinth, they say, was the, the, the commerce center for all the region. As we say today, you could say about Corinth, Corinth was killing it if you know what I mean. In other words, they were on top of the game. Corinth was the place to be when Paul walked its streets. Now, about 150 years before Paul's time, 150 years before the birth of Christ, Rome conquered and leveled this Greek city. When they conquered it, they killed all the men they sold the women and children into slavery, and for the next hundred years, this place, ancient Corinth, was a rubble, a ruins, and only squatters lived there for about a hundred years. They occupied the ruins and just a makeshift life among the place. Then, in 44 B.C., just a few years before Paul, Julius Caesar refounded the city, and he populated it with slaves. People from 
Italy that he had conquered, people from Greece that he had conquered, people from Syria, Egypt, and Judah. And this new Corinth, like ancient Corinth, exploded, exploded with, with life and, and thrived. It, it's, it was the crossroad of nations, and it brought enormous profits and, and commerce to thousands of people who lived there, who amassed personal wealth and a, a class of self-made men and women. It was sort of like the Silicon Valley of today. It was like Seattle with Amazon and Microsoft and, and all those. It was like San Francisco with Google and Apple. It was like Los Angeles. It was, it was just like those great cities, and it was probably just as licentious as them as well. In fact, ancient Corinth's pre-Julius Caesar, the, the city, had a reputation that was so bad that there was a, a name that came from that city, Corinthianize, which was a byword for illicit sexual activity. That's how bad Corinth was. It became a byword. Now, historians have concluded that the Corinth of Paul's day was probably just about as bad. Like other large metropolises, port cities, there was plenty of lurid activity going on in this place. Luke tells us, interestingly, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 18, that Paul chose Corinth to be the center of his missionary effort. Actually, Paul didn't choose. It was God who led Paul to choose. It was, it was a spirit-led movement to establish a missionary outpost there. Luke records God's direction to, to Paul in Acts chapter 16 of verses 9 and 10, where it says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. Luke is writing. He's one of Paul's uh, fellow missionaries. And, and so they, they leave. And Paul was convinced by God that he had called him to preach the gospel in that area. And so Paul visited those places. He visited Philippi and, and Thessalonica and Berea and, and Athens. You can read about that in Acts chapter 16 and chapter 17, about his, his interaction with those peoples. By God's power and Paul's determined nature, he, he was able to establish colonies of believers in each one of those places, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. But in each of these places, Paul encountered fierce opposition, strong opponents. And so he was forced to withdraw from those places before he could establish a church. He left believers, but no church. He moved on to more fertile ground, to Corinth. Here in Corinth, when Paul shared the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, meeting in synagogues with Jews and showing them from Scripture that Jesus was Messiah, some Jews strongly opposed him and <clears throat> became quite abusive. But, as it says in Acts chapter 18, verse 8, many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed 
and were baptized. So Paul ended up staying there a year and a half, which is quite something. A year and a half he stayed sharing, preaching the good news. Now that didn't mean that the opposition stopped. Uh, God confirmed Paul and told him to stay there through vision. This is what God told him in Acts chapter 18, verse 9 and 10. (coughs) Excuse me. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, God told Paul, for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because, notice this, I have many people in this city. Isn't that neat? God just confirmed and encouraged Paul. Yes, there were Jewish antagonists that were trying to squash the spread of the gospel. And Paul was even brought there in Corinth before a civil magistrate and accused falsely. And, but when the governor refused to listen to the accusations, the, 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 uh, the angry Jews turned their vengeance, and you can see this story in Acts chapter 18, they turned their vengeance on Soth. Sosthenes. Well, that's a hard one for me to say. Sosthenes. Sosthenes was the synagogue ruler. Sorry about that, Sosthenes. I can't quite get that out. (laughs) I need to hesitate. But uh, he was the synagogue ruler, and the Jews turned on him and beat him in front of the governor. And, uh, but despite this opposition... God's power and Paul's faithfulness combined to establish a significant church in this crossroad, this, this, this place, this crossroads of the world. I think, I can't help but think, that the voice of God can still be heard. And it's pleading with us here in Walla Walla like he pled with Paul back in those days. There's still many people that I have in this city. God is telling us today, there's still many people in College Place. There's still many people in Walla Walla. There's still many people in the Walla Walla Valley. There's still many people throughout the earth. There are many people who are my people. God is telling us today, there are many who are mine. Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. Take the good news. Share the good news. Walk the good news. It's interesting to me that Paul includes a man by the name of Sosthenes in his introduction, in his opening remarks to the church at Corinth. Notice this, verse number one, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Isn't that interesting? Now, we don't know exactly who this Sosthenes is. It's not identified. We're not told, but you recall that Sosthenes was the name of the man who in Acts chapter 18 was the head of that synagogue in Corinth that led the charge against Paul before the Roman authorities. Remember, that's what we looked at. Interestingly, this is the same guy that's now Paul's dedicated assistant. Could it be, we don't know this for sure, but could it be that this Sosthenes that leads out in this opposition against Paul, this Sosthenes who drags Paul before Gallio, the Roman governor, and accuses Paul of sedition. And when Gallio dismisses the case, they turn on, on Sosthenes and beat him up. Could this guy be the same guy that now is Paul's assistant? 
Now, we aren't told what happens to Sosthenes after he's thrashed. Acts chapter 18 doesn't tell us. But Kenneth Bailey, who is a Bible student and author of a book called Paul Through Mediterranean Eyes, Cultural Studies in 1 Corinthians, he says that it's natural to assume, it's natural to assume, he says, that Sosthenes and his family must have been hurt and bewildered. You can imagine it. I mean, his own people, his own fellow Jews had beaten him, and, and while the Roman authorities were even watching, so he had no hope or help from either of those. And how about the new believers, the new believers in Jesus Christ? Certainly they would think that, that he was their enemy because he was the one who led Paul to be accused. They were certainly looking at him as an enemy, seeing how he had tried to harm their leader, Paul, but wouldn't it be like Paul, just use your sanctified imagination just for a minute, wouldn't it be like Paul to visit this beaten, bruised man and his family maybe that evening or maybe some evening soon thereafter? Wouldn't it be like Paul to go visit this guy and express sympathy for the abuse that Sosthenes had suffered? I, I think so. I can't help but think that that, that maybe, that's, maybe that's part of the backstory that brings us to 1 Corinthians and Paul introducing the book along with this man, Sosthenes. Sosthenes had meant to harm Paul, but the plan had, had failed and had ricocheted back onto him. But, you know, overcome evil with good was... Really, the core was the DNA of the gospel message. And Paul himself says a little bit later in this book, we'll look at it in future times, but notice this, 1 Corinthians 4, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. This was Paul's way. This is the way of the cross. Maybe, I don't know, I know I'm just supposing, but might it be that Paul made such a visit and by God's power led Sosthenes to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, the Messiah? Might it be that this is the case? Now, we don't know the whole story, but why, why wouldn't it be that way? Why wouldn't it be? With Paul appealing gently, kindly, why wouldn't it be? It, might have been because that's exactly the way that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. There were huge tensions between Paul and the believers in Corinth. You can imagine, he was there for a year and a half, and after being gone for just a couple of years, there were significant problems in this church. You know about them, you've read them before, you've seen it. Despite this reality, when Paul addresses the church, now in this letter, his first words, the first thing to come out of his mouth and be written down are words of kindness, words of love and, and gentleness and meekness and, and mercy. Despite the reality that's going on, Paul affirms this church and their connection with Christ and the enrichment that they've received through Jesus Christ. Notice, Verses 2 and 3. To the church of God in Corinth, 
to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul, how he starts out this letter to these people, to the church in Corinth. He doesn't address them as some kind of a separate and distinct and, and rebellious group. He refers to them as the church of God in Corinth. The church of God in Corinth. Which reminds me that the church is a lot bigger than Corinth. The church is a lot bigger than College Place. The church is worldwide. The church despite our differences, despite our different backgrounds, despite different geography, different genes, different history, different race, different customs, different opinions, Paul says to the church in Corinth, we are one big church. That's what we are. Notice what he said to the church in Ephesus, something similar. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That's why Paul includes in this greeting, as he starts out the book of 1 Corinthians, to all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Our church is not divided. Our church is not divided. God's church is not divided one from another. There's not one that's better than another, uh, who's more distinct or dedicated or elite than another, at least not in God's eyes. They're all God's church. There's God's church here in College Place. There's God's church at Walla Walla University. There's God's church in, in Walla Walla. There's God's church in Milton Freeway. There's God's church at Stateline. There's God's church at Athena. There's God's church. This is God's church. We're not the Upper Columbia Conference Church. We're not the North Pacific Union Conference Church. We're not the North American Division Church. We're not the General Conference Church. We're God's church. That's what we are. We're God's church. That's what Paul says. We're the church of God in, in college place. Praise the Lord. We're all one everywhere. Christians, fellow believers in Jesus Christ, followers of God. Also, unusual in this greeting, as I mentioned, is the way that he addresses this church in Corinth. So he says to them that they are sanctified and made holy. Now that's about the last thing I'd think of if I were to characterize the church in Corinth, sanctified and holy. These people were far from that. They were, as you've read it, they were getting drunk at church. They were shouting insults at each other at church. One of them was sleeping with his mother-in-law and the others were proud of his behavior. That's the church at Corinth. There were marriage problems. There were divorce problems. There were remarriage problems. And there were Christians marrying unbelievers. And then the preachers, or prophets as they were called in Corinth, they were preaching, can you imagine it, simultaneously? I mean, wouldn't that be an interesting thing if I was here, Steve was here, Dan was over there, Jason's over there, Chad's back there. We're all preaching at the same time. 
Can you imagine that? That's what was going on in Corinth. And then in addition to that, the women, this is what it says, the women were chatting and not listening to anyone. <laughs> Probably just as well. <laughs> Many in the church had slipped into factions, camps that were de devoted to one leader or another who thought that they were holding more truths as consistent than others. They thought they were more important than another. And then there were others in the church who were denying the resurrection and also disregarding the reality of the cross. Can you imagine? That's C Corinth. Yet Paul called them saints, holy ones. That's what saints mean, holy ones. Amazing. Clearly, Paul is thinking differently about that word than I think. A saint for Paul men a person who's received the Holy Spirit. Are you a saint? I should hear a lot of amens. Because if you've received the Holy Spirit, you're a saint. If you're a confessing, believing Christian, you're a saint. If you're in the game, if you're down on the field called life, and you're doing life, not perfectly, but purposefully, I'll say that again, not perfectly, but purposefully, right? With God and for God, you're a saint. That's what Paul says. A saint isn't a person that's reached some stratospheric level of, of goodness. That's not a saint. Some high level of piety. No, you're a saint. And amazingly, I want to tell you something really amazing. I'm a saint. Imagine that. God has chosen you. God's chosen me to belong to him. And since I do belong to him and you belong to him, since I have been set apart and you've been set apart as a child of God, maybe I ought to act like it. What do you think? My life today, my relationship with others, my activities, the things I do, the things I'm about, ought to square up with the fact that God has made me his own. It ought to. Not in order to be his, but because I am his. Paul says that in his letter a little bit later, that belief in Christ makes us part of him part of Christ. Notice 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You've been bought with a price. So, imperfect though we are, we still belong to God. We are still saints. And though we are saints, we continually grow in our relationship with God. We're all full of bumps and bruises. We all have defects of character and thought, just like the saints in Corinth. And like them, and like them, we are challenged and will be challenged by this book to iron things out, <laughs> okay? By the power of God, by the day-by-day -day infilling of God's Spirit working in us and living out His God-honoring ways. We become godlike, godly, 
That's what it's all about. I like the way Adventist scholar and theologian Ivan Blazin put it. He said, we are not growing to be saints, but saints growing to be like Christ. I like that. That says a lot right there. We're not growing to be saints. We're saints growing to be like Christ Jesus. That's the right way. Christ in me, Christ in you, motivating, moving, empowering, inspiring, changing. That's what we are. When Paul calls this rebellious, when Paul calls this deviant, this faltering, this arguing group of believers in Corinth saints, it's an appeal to become the people that God has made them to be, truly godly people. That's God's appeal to you and me. 1 Corinthians 3 1 verse 3 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. Grace and peace to you. And he says it to us today. Grace and peace to you, Village Church. Grace and peace to you, to every person. Grace. Grace. What is that? That's God's faithfulness. His faithfulness toward me to save me, to heal me, to restore me, to, to make me new despite my failings, despite my faultings, despite, despite my record of defeats, regardless of my devotion, regardless of my deservedness, God's favor comes to me, grace. God's favor comes to me, his forgiveness. The riches of his goodness in Jesus Christ comes to me. That's God's grace. Grace and peace to you, says Paul. Peace. Peace is God's shalom, God's favor, his reconciling grace that flows from him to me. It's God's comprehensive, as someone put it, comprehensive harmony and contentment that comes from the gift of the Holy Spirit living inside you and me. Peace, shalom peace. That's my heart resting in Jesus Christ. That's my soul content with the assurance of God's salvation and power through Jesus Christ. That is peace. Grace and peace to you, he says. And then he concludes this first section with a prayer. And I'm going to finish with that as well. Verses, starting with verse number four. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine Paul thanking God for those Corinthian believers? By the way, you'll notice that Paul isn't thanking God for their purity or for their uh, faithfulness or for anything they're doing like he oftentimes does in other books that he's written in, when he wrote to Philippi, when he wrote, wrote to Rome, when he wrote to Colossae or to Thessalonica. He, he says, he, he, he thanks God for their faithfulness, for their, for their work in partnering with the gospel. He thanks God for, for being a part of this, this movement, but not in Corinth. The church in Corinth, I have to say, like the church today, is struggling. It's fractured. It's stumbling relationally and spiritually. And so Paul says, instead of beginning with a rebuke, he could have. Instead of chastising them, he could have. He starts with God's grace. God's grace richly supplied. 
then verses 5 to 8. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about you, about, about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack in any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at those words, those last words. Isn't that your hope? To be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? And who was Paul speaking to when he said these words? Chaotic, messy, Corinth, that's who. But the point is, God was doing a mighty work amidst, in their midst, and God is going to do a mighty work in us. In 2019, he is. The gospel had taken, as one person said, lodgment in their hearts. I kind of like that, lodgment. In other words, it had, it had encompassed and indwelled them. That's what Ivan Blazin said. He, he had taken, the gospel had taken lodgment in their hearts. It, it found, has it, I want to ask you, has it taken lodgment in your heart? The gospel? We may be challenged. We may be, uh, we may appear to be in a bit of a quandary. But you know what? By God's strength, by God's power, he will bring us through. And he will, as he said to the church in Corinth, bring us firm to the end. Keep us firm to the end. God's gifts will strengthen us just like they strengthened the church in Corinth. So that, as Paul said to them, he will say to us, you may be blameless. Blameless when Jesus Christ returns. That's what I've always wanted, isn't it? You, to see Jesus Christ return and stand before him blameless. Sometimes we've tried to reach that by our own strength. The guarantee is not our faithfulness. It's not our power, but God's power. That's the guarantee. 1 Corinthians 1.9 God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who's faithful? Who's faithful? God is faithful. God is faithful. Wouldn't that be a great model for 2019? God is faithful. What do you say? God is faithful. Jesus is returning soon. God is faithful. And as Paul told the church at Philippi in his introduction to them, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That's what he's going to do for you, for me. He's going to carry that to completion. Praise his name. He's promised us. He's not going to abandon us. He's going to get us ready for his arrival. 2019. God is faithful. Would you with me daily put your hand in his hand? Daily put your feet in his footprints? Daily let him live in you? that he might make us ready by his strength and power for that great and glorious day when he returns. That's my prayer, and I know that's your hope too. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the good news of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, and the good news that you have done everything we need. You have accomplished everything for us in Jesus Christ 
so that we can stand before you blameless. All we need to do, all we need to do is trust in you. All we need to do is put our hand in yours. All we need to do is let your strength fill our lives and empower us that every step that we take is a step in your footprints, that every act we make, every thought we have will bring, bring honor and glory to you. Lord, that's what we want to do. 2019, you'll be faithful to us. May we be faithful is our prayer. And we know that you can do that in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.